This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com. You're listening to C-Suite Success Radio with your host and executive coach, Sharon Smith. If corporate success is your goal, C-Suite Success Radio offers you informative interviews with experts that will help you shorten your learning curve and accelerate your momentum to higher achievement. C-Suite Success Radio makes it simple and easy for you to tap into the wisdom of other successful business people who know the path you're traveling. If you're ready for success in corporate America, welcome to your new home at C-Suite Success Radio. And now, time for your host and C-Suite executive coach, Sharon Smith. Welcome to this week's episode of C-Suite Success Radio. I am your host, Sharon Smith of C-Suite Results. Each week we focus on success, a word we all know and something we strive towards, but not a word that's easy to define. All of our topics and guests are aimed to help you achieve the goals you have set for your organization and for yourself as a leader, but more importantly, to help you accelerate the pace of your success. On today's show, I have Glenn Garns, the founder of Village Connector Community, an internet TV and radio network that produces self-help educational programs for distribution on the internet. Glenn is a retired business attorney who left the practice of law to explore entrepreneurship, his true passion. Glenn is a sought-after speaker on topics related to internet marketing, social media marketing, and relationship marketing. With over 30 years of marketing experience, he brings a lot to the table when it comes to understanding how to reach people and inspire them to act. Glenn loves people and loves to teach on topics related to entrepreneurship and marketing, helping people maximize their skills and talents to create a lifestyle they desire is a passion and priority for Glenn. Let's listen to the conversation I had with Glenn and learn how he defines success and lessons he has learned to help you gain the edge you're looking for. Today I welcome Glenn Gardens to the show and not the phone. He is in studio with me, which is super exciting. Hey, Glenn. Hey, thanks for having me. Isn't this nice being like in the same room? It's fantastic. And I wish I could do this more with folks. Most people I talk to aren't in the same area and even... When they are, it's D.C. No one wants to drive an well, hour. You know what? Make them drive. Make them fly in. <laughs> it's a privilege to be on your show. Ah, thanks, Glenn. I appreciate that. I want to talk about a lot of things. First, we're going to start with you. Tell us about the Village Connector community, what you're focused on, and what you want us all to know. Well, first of all, let me say I'm very, very proud of the Village Connector community. And the reason is that it is really the realization of a dream that I've had probably all my life in, in, in one way or another. So let me just say that what it is, we've created an internet television and radio network that's focused on self-help education. In other words, helping people become the best they can be at who they are and what they do and making it easy for them to get access to information that shortens their learning curve. So we feature, we work with subject matter experts like yourself who are able to share information with people to help them to evolve. And we're using today's technologies in all different ways to make sure that people have ready access to this information. So that is, uh, that's what we do, and I love it, and it just makes my heart sing. And I should say we are in the Village Connector Community radio room. This is where I record all my podcast interviews. So thank you, Glenn, for access to the studio. I love it up here. My pleasure. You're always welcome in the village. Yes. I've done a lot of work with you now, and I'm getting to know you very well. And you're amazing at what you do. You're a LinkedIn guru, marketing guru. You understand media, and just an overall wonderful 
person. I'm a restless soul. (laughs) (laughs) Well, let's talk about your progression to where you are today because you have a very interesting story and one I really want to share because I think some listeners could be in a similar situation and I want them to hear what it looks like on the other side and what this really is all about. You used to be a lawyer. That's right. I still am a lawyer, True. just not practicing. That's fair. You used to be a practicing lawyer in a firm or a practice. Was it your own? I went um, in the very beginning. I worked for a law firm fresh out of law school. Less than two years later, I started my own firm with another associate that left the law firm, and we went into practice together. I then went to several other law firms you know, as partner partner in those law firms, and uh, eventually left one of the biggest law firms up in Baltimore to come back out into my own practice again and started that whole craziness all over. How does one go from a practicing lawyer to an entrepreneur doing TV, radio, and marketing? Oh, that's a good one. I, I, uh, I don't know that there's a standard answer to that, but let me tell you what happened for me. Um, as a kid, I always loved technology. I was a gadget kid. Um, everything from, you know, Christmas toys that were electronic in nature through C. I was grew up during the CB radio craze, so I had CB radios, but I didn't just have any CB radio. I had the the CB radio to end all CB radios, that kind of stuff. And so I always found myself um, uh, interested in technology. I developed an interest in videography, also because it was gadget related, and that really started primarily when I was in the practice of law. I actually created my first recording studio in my law firm. The focus on the technology stuff and the education stuff led me to, you know, make the decision that I wanted to do something other than the practice of law. I can't remember whether that was the answer to your or whether that was your real question or not. It was a good answer. <laughs> whether Very it answered good. my question or not. It's about helping our audience understand what your successful lawyer, what's going through your mind to say, uh, I'm going to okay. put this behind me and start this new thing, this entrepreneurial thing. I was asking how you go from law to marketing okay, so, and radio. So let me let me fill in the fill in the blank a little bit more. As a kid, I wanted to make my parents proud. And I wasn't good at math, so I knew I wasn't going to med school. So the really the real issue was I wanted to pursue a career that I thought I would like that would make my parents proud. And being the first lawyer in the family was something I knew would make them proud. So it was just a matter of whether I had an interest in it. Well, you know, I convinced myself to have an interest in it until I got into the practice of law for long enough to realize I don't want to do this anymore. And by the time I realized that the practice of law was something that wasn't going to keep my interest long term, I had been at it long enough to realize that there's a lot of people in my life that expected for me to be a lawyer. And so I had to make the decision that what I wanted in my life was more important than what people expected of me. And so I started thinking through what else do I enjoy doing or what do I enjoy doing that has nothing to do with practicing law because I obviously was hating that by the time I stopped doing it. And I found that the only other thing that I really had an interest in and the only other thing I had expertise with that anyone cared about was how to generate business through referrals, relationship marketing. And as a result of that, I I put together a course called Referral University. And that course was designed to teach people. It was three CDs in a workbook that I created and burned the CDs myself, had a little system in place, technology. And and ultimately, it began my journey of information products, 
helping people to, you know, get access to information that helped them to enhance who they are and what they do. So that journey, that journey started for me with being willing to swim against the stream, so to speak, and to do the unexpected rather than what people expected. And I'd, I'd made that decision back in 2004 to close the doors to my law firm. I actually made the decision in 2002, but it took two and a half years to clear out my my caseload because, frankly, I had a pretty decent law firm. And I just, you know, needed the time to, you know, wind things down for clients that I couldn't have transferred to other places. But the point is that making that decision started with my deciding what was important to me rather than what was important to the people around me. I have a feeling that message will resonate with a lot of people. Of course, people are listening who love what they do and they went into a field and they're perfectly happy. But a lot of people, to no fault of their own, end up in something that doesn't make them happy. And whether it's because a parent or that was the expectation or whether it was just a lack of knowledge. When I was 17, I had to pick a major because I was going into college and I just picked kind of a random major in business because I wasn't good at science. I wasn't good at math. I didn't want to go to a school that was going to make me do all that liberal arts stuff, which is ironic because I ended up graduating from a liberal arts school <laughs> at the end of the day. But I went and got a business degree and I got an accounting degree primarily because I didn't want to do all those other things, not because, oh my gosh, accounting is fun. I actually never worked as an accountant. I went into audit, which I did okay. It was all right, but I didn't enjoy that job really. And it was always this progression of what do I really want to do and dabbling in this and dabbling in that and doing lots of things over the last 15, 17 years. And so a lot of people listening could easily say, yeah, me too. And why am I doing this or who am I doing it for? But it's scary to say, especially if you're doing it because it's for somebody else, yes. it's really scary to say, I'm not going to do it anymore. What's the hardest part of that transition? Making the decision that what you want is more important than what everyone expects from you. You know, everyone you know, that I found in my world that um, was shocked and somehow even disappointed that I made the decision, they all thought that they knew better than I did what, I, what was best for me. They all thought they were protecting me from making a, a poor choice. And what they real, didn't realize is that they didn't do any thought or give any inquiry or do any kind of due diligence on what would motivate me to want to make the choice. They had already concluded for themselves what was in my best interest without even asking me what I was interested in. So that's when I knew that I couldn't rely on friends and family members who had seen me in the, you know, successfully practicing law for guidance on these issues because they weren't asking the right questions the way I was. You know? So I didn't have any problem once I recognized that, making the choice that, look, you know, I'm the only one that knows what's in my head, what's in my heart, what's going through, what I'm going through in life. And if the other people around me aren't willing to take the time to ask why, but they're going to tell me what I should be doing, that's not the kind of advice I want. What I love about that and what came to my mind is how parents affect children. And you have a son, and how does the knowledge of what people had done to you impact how you interact with him? Oh, my goodness. Well, first of all, I've got three boys and a girl. That I did not realize. Okay, so we got... More than one. <laughs> one, I've got it. My oldest son is is Evan. He's an airman uh, with the uh, U.S. Air Force. My middle son is Emmett. He is a Marine. Uh, my third son, my youngest son, is Nolan. He's still at home. He's he's going into his he's into his junior year in high school, and my daughter Mary is thirteen. She just turned thirteen at the end of September. And what I have found is that the amount of control that I felt I was under through my childhood and even into my career 
uh, based on my parents' opinions and stuff like that. I love, let me get this wrong. I love my parents to death. They're wonderful people. And I'm sure that in their hearts and in their heads, they felt that they were giving me the guidance that I needed. And, and many times it was something I needed, but there were other times where I felt like I needed to look elsewhere for that type of guidance. But here's the point. I was so affected by that guidance and the control that it, it brought with it, I feel like I was kind of letting this pendulum swing to the other end of the scale with my kids, where I was just letting them do whatever they felt their heart needed to explore, you know. And one, one of my sons, Evan, actually told me he felt like I needed to, I should have been more you know, persist more diligent or more, more, um, controlling of him or more encouraging him to stay with things longer and everything. And I explained to him why I did what I did. So he understood it. You can't win. <laughs> but you know, exactly. It's like, if I had, if I had done, if I had had you live with grandpa, you probably would have been saying the direct opposite because he would have been happy to give you his opinion on what you should do with your life. But, um, you know, it's kind of funny as I was thinking back on this, I'm finding today, as I interact with people, there's two classes of people. There are people who are not happy with what they're doing, and they're terrified of making the decision that I made to go and do something else. And there are some people who have to choose something new because what they do for a living is no longer relevant in the marketplace, mm -hmm. and they're still terrified of making the decision to move in a new direction. Different reasons, same result. And so... You know, the question that you asked about how did you make the decision and why, I think it's important is that most of us are only tapping into a very small percentage of our talent, our genius, our capabilities, our, and, and we have the ability to learn and develop new skills, notwithstanding the fact that we went to school for a particular endeavor. Your degree does not define who you are. And that's, I think, what most people need to understand is that that degree simply represents what you did at that moment in time. What you do now, what you do in the future is up to you to decide. And it's the quality of your choices and decisions that's going to reflect who you really are and who you really become. I think it's interesting that two classes of people, and not class from a class perspective, but right. two groups of people, the, those who aren't happy with what they're doing and are terrified to make a change can only help that those folks so much because they either will or won't choose. But then there's this group of people you mentioned that their jobs have become less relevant or have been replaced with automa automation or have been outsourced for whatever reason their job is no longer available to them. Company downsized, company went out of business, right? What do we tell those people? Because they don't have a choice. They act absolutely have to figure something else out. And if their skill set is no longer relevant to industry, what do they do? How do they make that next step? How do they get to a place where they can be happy and comfortable and less afraid again? I think that what my advice to people would be in that, in that genre is do not define yourself by what you do for a living. You are not what you do for a living. And be open to reinvention. You know, being being you know reborn in some ways in your career or in your life is something that you have control over creating for yourself every single day. It's the choices that determine the outcomes for you. And a lot of times people aren't really comfortable making choices. They're afraid of failure. Fear of failure is the biggest thing that keeps people. It kept me in the practice of law longer than I should have been because I was like, wow, what would I do if I didn't practice law? And I got to the point where practicing law was such a burden. I was like, I will do, I will clean floors. I'll, you know, I will go become a security guard. Not that there's anything wrong being a security guard, except that that wasn't on my list of uh, my bucket list. Sure. My point in saying that is that if you start with the premise that you have control over your outcomes and it's the choices that you make that determine the outcomes, 
You just need to be open to being responsible for those choices. And of course, you know, like I said before, you know, reinvention is actually an exciting concept if you see it from that perspective. You know, we think that oh, our job's being phased out. That's the that's the bad news. Well, you want to hear the good news? Your job is being phased out. You know, I have a lesson on YouTube. Uh, it's probably back in about five six years ago where I talk about the opportunity in unemployment, where people I'm trying to help people understand the value of shifting their mindset from paycheck mentality or mindset to to entrepreneur mindset. And we talk about the fact that, let me give you an example. If you're a bookkeeper and you make $60,000 a year and you work for an employer, you have one person that's responsible for your income. If that one person wakes up tomorrow morning and decides they no longer need a bookkeeper, you're out of work. For every company that can afford a full-time bookkeeper, there are 10 companies that need bookkeeping service but don't have the ability to hire someone full-time. If you could move from paycheck to profit mindset, those would be your clients. And instead of being paid by one person, you'd have 10 people each contributing to your income for the month. Now, what are the chances all 10 of them are going to wake up tomorrow and say you're fired? Not a big, not, not likely, right? But somehow we are convinced that the security exists in the job and not in, and not in a business. And so all I'm, all I'm saying is that a big part of the ability to shift and make the decision to move forward is shifting your mindset. And your mindset has to be shifted by having the ability to interact with people who think differently than the people you currently hang out with. If you're hanging out with employees, they're going to be telling you, get your resume together and go look for a job. What you really ought to do is open up, what are the other possibilities for me out here? What are some other things that I could be doing? Is there a different way to approach this? And if you open your mind up to that, start talking to people that have come from different walks of life, your world will change incredibly. And what I've learned as an entrepreneur and only being out on my own as an entrepreneur for the last few years, I was I was corporate. I was an employee with the paycheck, sure. really good paycheck, that I wasn't happy in what I was doing to get. What I've learned is you can become an entrepreneur while at the same time having the security of a paycheck by having some kind of side job or going out there. And you don't just have to say, tomorrow I'm going to be an entrepreneur. That's actually not a really good idea. It's not a good idea to quit your job and just say, okay. I'm going to go find those 10 clients that you mentioned because you're right. They're out there and you know how to find them. That's what you do for a living. You help people with marketing and, and all of that. But to say, okay, I'm going to be an entrepreneur. Okay, my job's being phased out. I will go do the floors or the security guard or the waitress or the retail or anything that I can find a position that will help me pay my bills while I pursue X. Exactly. And, and even, you know, for people that um, – see, here's the thing. Most people being laid off isn't a surprise. They usually hear rumblings. They know that there's a downsizing or an outsourcing or a restructuring coming, and they're just hoping that it's not going to affect them. <clears throat> the truth is that everyone has some expertise with something. That's why you have a job. Someone hired you for your expertise. For especially upper-level or mid-level uh, management, um, they typically have the ability to monetize that expertise beyond a paycheck. If you're full-time employed, that's the best time to start making preparations to have your own consultancy or your own digital publishing uh, agency or whatever that allows you to create an income from a different perspective than you're used to on a paycheck. The problem is most of us wait till we're laid off to start looking at those options. I like to think that your employer is your corporate sponsor while you build your dream, you know, your dream career on the side. You know, and when you think about it from that perspective. If I'm working with, I don't know, just say, you know, some big, big corporation somewhere, 
I won't mention anyone since no one's paying to sponsor your show. <laughs> At least not, not none of these people I would mention. <laughs> the Village Connector. Yeah, exactly. But if I'm working for a big you know, entity, I certainly have the ability to live off the income from that while I put – because you're not usually working 120 hours a week. You have discretionary time. In fact, that's in your course you know, about how to, you know, how to prioritize your time and everything. You have the ability to build something on the side, get the infrastructure in place, be able to market it and begin building and, and also saving a, you know, enough of a cushion, enough of a nest egg that you can afford to then go out without it being a stress on your financial situation. Unfortunately, most of us wait until it's doomsday that we wait for the apocalypse where we get the layoff. And more importantly, we wait until unemployment's gone before we actually make the decision to finally do something. That's not the time to make the choice. The choice needs to be made before it needs, before you need it. And what I'm also taking from that is even if you don't want to become an entrepreneur, it really isn't for everyone. The same concept is true for getting a furthering your education or learning a new skill. If you think your job is going sure. away or if you're just not happy in your job, let that job sponsor you. I like that term, corporate sponsorship. Yeah. While you then get that education or go find that mentor or go through whatever program you need to go through. I went through a coaching certification while I was employed because I was going to do, I decided I was going to be a coach. That was one of my reinventions and did executive coaching and leadership development and and now I'm bringing my old life back in the security world, the cyber stuff, because that's what I was really known for. And mm-hmm. figuring out how to combine it, knowing that if one endeavor isn't working out the exact way I want it to, that I can continue to reinvent myself. I can continue to figure it out as I go. And none of that is a failure. It's, it's a learning process. So sp- when we think about success and failure, a lot of people have these very finite definitions. It either worked or it didn't. If it didn't work, I failed. Tell us more about, I want to hear first about failure before we even talk about success. For you, when something doesn't go as planned, do you call it a failure? How do you look at it? So I don't really think it's important what you call it. I think it's more important how you perceive it. I love the saying that sometimes you win, sometimes you learn. And so if you look at the experiences that you create, that's all, as I see it, these so-called failures are. They're experiences. So it's more important what you learn from that experience than whether it was successful or unsuccessful. If you make the same decision every single time and you get the same result every single time and you're not learning from those experiences, that's a problem. That could be a okay? failure. Yeah, that can be a failure. It could be a failure of judgment, not a failure of, you know, the you know that this is the outcome when you do this. So that's not the failure. The failure is failing to appreciate the le- the lesson that's there that if you want a different outcome, you might have to try something different. As I see it, failure is just an indicator that you haven't yet found the way that's going to achieve the outcome that you're looking for. I mean, you think about Thomas Edison. He had 999, we overheard the story. I think it's over 1,000. 999 (laughs) attempts to make a light bulb. And, you know, his attitude was, I didn't fail 999 times. I simply identified 999 ways that it wouldn't work. Exactly. So, you know, again, society tends to punish failure. You know, when we get graded in school, in, in school. You know, you either pass or fail. You either got an A or, you know, something less than an A. And it's always about not getting that, you know, failing grade. But I think there's just as much to be learned in that experience of not mastering the material well enough to get the A as, you know, anything else that could happen. In fact, I find that I learn more from the battle scars that I have than I do from the things that came easy to me. Tell us about a battle scar that you've learned from that you think by sharing with our listeners they can learn from too. (laughs) Oh, my goodness. 
Uh, we might be here for a little while. How long do we have? <laughs> it's, your, it's your studio. I don't have to be anywhere till later. All right. So, um, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to talk about one that has come up, um, re- repeatedly for me in my business. And it's, it relates to the, and, and I, I don't want people to read anything into this, but it relates to the people I've chosen to go into business with. Okay. Um, I actually ended up writing a book back in 2009 called Let's Not Be Partners, Things You Must Do Before You Tie the So-Called Knot, and I'm making quotation marks with my fingers here. And and that book was really, a lot of people said, that title, you're negative about going into business. People, no. I was negative about going into business with the wrong people for the wrong reasons. And the whole premise in the book was that good people don't always make good partners. So one thing I had found over my lifetime in both business and and representing clients that had partnership disputes is that the common thread was that very few of us really give the level of deliberation that's necessary for us to decide whether we have the right person at the table to be our partner. Sometimes we make partnership decisions on 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 an emotional basis rather than a business or logical basis. So one of the so some of the battle scars I've experienced is the stops and starts of having two people go into business. Neither of them really understands why they're there with each other. Neither of them really appreciates what it means, you know, what's expected of them because it wasn't defined, it wasn't, you know, uh, discussed any level of detail. And then they're stunned that they get into business together and they're not happy. It's it happens every single day, and I've seen it. I've represented clients in partnership disputes. I've had some good partnerships, and I've had some partnerships that were challenges. And in every instance, I can't point to one person that was not a good person. It's just that we were not good partners, largely because we didn't know what to expect from each other. The same so. could probably be said um, similarly for marriage or any kind of partnership. Oh, you know, you're absolutely right. Friend of mine read that book. She's an acupuncturist, and she's like, you know, you if you change the title of this, this would apply to 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 you know romantic and uh, marriage relationships. Oh, I'm not going there. I'm not trying to be a marriage coach. You know, it's enough for me to be passing this on to people in a business relationship. But it is true. You know, we very rarely spend enough time thinking about the quality of or the or the characteristics or traits or personalities of the people that we're spending our time with. Yet we're told by all the experts that you're the average of the five people you hang around with most. And when you think about it, if you looked at the five people you hang around with most and ask yourself, what investigation, what diligence did I actually do to determine why I'm spending time with this person, that person, or a group of people, or an organization for that matter? We don't spend a lot of time giving conscious and deliberate thought to some of the choices that we make. And that's probably a bigger issue is that you know, most of my battle scars come from having made poor choices, not a choice, but not done enough diligence in deciding to make the choice in the first place. And what I like about this conversation, I think is true for many conversations, is it can be applicable to so many different things. So you talked about partnership first from like a legal, not even legal, but from well, a business, be, perspective. business perspective. Then we said this also applies to maybe how we, friends and marriage and personal relationships. But it's also true for a business in terms of who they hire and put in the C-suite or who they put in different roles and how they, sur- you know, who they're surrounding themselves with within the organization to ensure that that organization is going to not just survive, but thrive and be competitive. And Exactly. And, and, and in your world, you know, obviously C-suite executives and, and the search for C-suite executives largely has a focus on their um, talent, you know, their accomplishments, their victories and everything. 
And I see some very talented, very uh, uh, capable people that have a lack of ability to relate to others. You know, you can't be an effective leader if you have a hard time dealing with people. Even I don't care how I don't care how many degrees you have and how many letters you have after your name. If people that you're supposed to be responsible for inspiring aren't inspired by you, that's a problem. And so, you know, sometimes we look at the resume for the credentials, and very rarely does somebody say in their resume that I've had a lifelong history of being well received by the people I serve. I serve, you know, or by, well received by the people I supervise. Right. You know, no when was the last time you saw that on a yeah, resume? Don't play well with others, does not. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> does not get put on there. And there are ways to try and help ensure you bring in better the better people, the right people, the A players, the rock stars for your organization. Depending on the role, someone who plays well with others is great in certain positions where they don't have to yeah. work with others. And that's where we put them. But we have to know more about the position and the people and spend time really getting to know people and who they are and and once we brought them in, just because we brought them into a certain position, if it's not working out, figure out what it is they should be doing. They could be very valuable to your organization in a different role. And too many times I think people just don't think that way. And, and when you think about it, we're talking about some very, some very intangible things that go into being successful in business and in life. I mean, think about it. When What course did you take on how to pick the right people to go into business with? There was nothing like that in college, and there was nothing like that in graduate school. There certainly wasn't anything for like, like that in law school for me. These are soft, what they call, they call them soft skills, but the reality is that they are the foundation upon which I believe academic study should be based. You know, we assume that people are going to just automatically learn these things, and it's just not true. Uh, it's not. It's a. It's an unreasonable expectation. It doesn't just dawn on people that some of the principles come out of how to win friends and influence people. Uh, one of the most important ones is take a sincere interest in others before you expect them to take an interest in you. How many times do we see that in reverse, where what's in someone's it for me? yeah, what's in it for me? Yeah, exactly. How can you know? Or or at best, you know, one hand washes the other. That means that you know, you scratch my back, I'll scratch yours. If you stop scratching, I'm going to stop too. Yeah, I mean, little things like that. It doesn't dawn on people that there is um, a way to accomplish more by understanding how to be a good citizen. I'm not talking about citizenship. I'm talking about playing, as you point out, playing nicely with others. We just assume that that gets picked up along the way, and it often doesn't. I like to say common sense isn't actually that common. Yeah, common sense doesn't always translate to common practice. Absolutely, and it's often not commonly known information. Even That's exactly right. The rest of us are like, isn't that common sense? And it sounds like it common sounds sense. Like common but sense. if you were to look at whether, where is that showing up in my life? Where am I doing that myself? What, you know, what, what am I doing to implement that? Very few people can list things that they, you know, well, that makes sense. Well, you have to make it practice. And as you know, from someone who has gone through my course, one of the modules is about self-awareness. And these are the yep. kind of things that you can easily evaluate your own abilities very quickly by really thinking, what is it that bothers me about other people? What is it that they're doing? And am I doing it too? What? How am I treating others? How am I behaving? And really just decide, again, choices. You talked about choices early on, and we talked about choices from a career perspective, but just any choice we make. And I have found nine times out of ten that when I see a behavior or a personality trait that I despise in someone else, it's because I recognize it. I recognize it because it's inherent in me as well. Very true. And that that immediately alerts me to, wow, when am I doing that? Because it's got, I mean, that's why that's why stuff ir irks me because I see it and I don't like it in myself, but I'm subliminally keeping that in the in the background. 
That's a great point. A lot yeah. of the things that we don't like in others is a mirror reflection of what it is that we don't like within ourselves. Bingo. And it's a matter of saying, oh, I need to I need to work on that. Exactly. Very cool. All right. We talked about failure, which is usually not the direction I always go <laughs> in terms of order of conversation, but we can't end the conversation without talking about success. All right. The fair show, enough. The show is about sure success. Sure is about success, right? <laughs> and hearing from you how you define success right now, it may be different than how you define success as a lawyer or even five years ago, two years ago, yesterday. Uh, I had a guest on earlier who said if you'd asked me this two months ago, the question, answer would have been different. Mm-hmm. It can change very quickly depending on life and circumstances. How do you know something's been successful? How do you say, wow, that was a success? If you're talking about individual transactions and things, obviously if you have a goal and you accomplish the goal, you can call that successful. I like to think of success in a broader way, which is probably a little bit more esoteric, but let me share that with you. For me, success is about being able to create the life you want unapologetically and knowing that the choices that you're making are helping you to evolve towards that lifestyle, whatever it might be, whether you're a business professional, whether you're a career, whether you own a business, whether you're a homemaker, it doesn't matter. If you have the understanding that you, your choices dictate the lifestyle you get to lead and you understand how... the um, to, to make those choices meaningful, make meaningful choices. It's successful for me when you are making choices that are leading you to the lifestyle that you want. And it all starts in my mind with being comfortable in your own skin. Because when you're comfortable with your own skin, in your, in your own skin, you make choices based on what's in your heart rather than what other people try to influence you to do. You know, sometimes we, even from the people that are closest to us, we need to have some buffer, some insulation from their own opinions because we don't know where they're coming from with, you know, their perspective on things. We have to be able to hear and see that information, determine if it's relevant, if it's, if it's accurate, if it's helpful, and then make a conscious decision, not an emotional one, to either act on it or not act on it. So for me, success is about making the realization, reaching the realization that the choices that you make dictate the quality of life that you get to live, and that by making those choices on a conscious basis, you can create the lifestyle that you deserve rather than settling for the one you think you have. And the one thing when you started saying that in the unapologetic, the first reaction I had was, okay, I agree, and the second reaction I had was, ooh, we're not talking about taking advantage of people and and going out there going, this is the lifestyle I want, and I'll do anything I can to get there unapologetically. I know what you mean is unapologetic as in I'm going to do it this way because this is who I am. I'm not going to be a lawyer. I'm going to be an entrepreneur, not uh, I'm going to take advantage of you or step all over you or do everything I need to do to get my kind of lifestyle. That's exactly right. I was what I the picture I had in mind was I made the choice to stay in the practice of law because I was afraid of what other people would think versus being unapologetic about wanting to change my circumstances. And that's what I'm referring to. We're not talking about people who are out here scheming and scamming and trying to take advantage and of And I folks. knew you weren't. Yeah. I just, there was a reaction I had internally when you said yeah. that, that made me say, I know that's not what he means, but I don't want anyone listening to say, oh, I can go do whatever I want and step all over people and be unapologetic. So when I talk it. about being unapologetic, think about how many times you've done something because you were afraid it might hurt someone's feelings if you didn't do it the way they asked you to do it, you know? I mean, I know my parents were somewhat disappointed when I decided to get out of practice of law because they no longer had bragging rights. 
you know? And I actually heard that from some of my father's friends who we, we know in common. You know, I won't, I won't rat on them because they actually came back to me and said, Glenn, I'm proud of you for the decision you made. You know, I know your dad wasn't like completely supportive, but keep on going. You can, you know, you can do this. That's very cool. But, but the point is, you know, like I said before, you know, being unapologetic means that you are the one that is responsible for the choices that you're making. And as long as you're willing to answer for the circumstances that your choices create, you shouldn't have to apologize to somebody else for having made those choices. That is a privilege and a right that you have to make the choices that make your heart sing. And that's exactly what I did when I left the practice of law. This has been a really enlightening, wonderful conversation. You shared a lot with our listeners and ideas and steps to potentially go from a place where you, maybe you're not happy if that's where you are or a place where you're finding circumstances are changing and you need to change with them. I think you provided a lot of really great, great sage advice. What's one piece of advice, What something a mentor or anybody has ever provided to you that you just went, Wow. That's something I want to share. The answer to that question isn't going to be um, isn't going to be profound. I think it was don't quit. You might need to change direction. You might need to change your approach. You might have to evaluate whether what you're trying to accomplish is still worth doing. But don't quit if you know that it's still something that needs to be done. I like it. You know, and and I uh, I take that to heart every day because uh, Village Connector didn't start out as an internet television and radio network devoted to personal development and self-help content. It's been an evolution over a period of almost 12 years now. 2005, 2006 was, was actually it's been longer than that, geez. 2006 was about the predecessor to Village Connector started. And we've made various pivots and various uh adjustments and, and restructuring and re- revisiting what we're doing. Because as we were changing, things around us were changing too. Technology got better. We had better ways to deliver content, live streaming, all kinds of broadband wasn't even really happening uh, at the level that it is today back then. So all that stuff required us to constantly revisit what we were doing, see if it was still valid, see if there was a better way to do it, or if it was still worth doing. But if you determine something's worth doing, don't quit. I love that. And a guest a long while ago had mentioned to me, he said something that a friend had said to him. After 10 years, I was an overnight success. We usually only see the outcome of success after all the failure, all the setbacks, all the turmoil, all the pain has been put into it. We see the book on the shelf. We see the movie. We see the success. We see the million dollars and the cars. That didn't happen overnight. It exactly. Never, it never happens overnight, except unless you're a lottery winner, and then we know it's temporary because <laughs> there's and, a whole show about that. And you know why that doesn't happen? Because all the people who are alert to that when it happens, they didn't want to be bothered with you before it all happened. <laughs> exactly. So when you see someone who is, quote, unquote, successful, don't be jealous. Don't be envious because you don't know what it took to get there. And it probably took a lot of sweat, a lot of tears, a lot of loss, money or otherwise sleep and know that anything is possible if you don't quit. And if you realize that there will be bumps along the way. And see, jealousy is one of those choices we make that has the end circumstance of not learning anything. That's a great point. If I see somebody that went from rags to riches, I want to know how they did it because I know better than to think that that just happened by accident. If you're not asking people who have achieved greatly, how did that happen for you? What did you do? What were some of the things that came up for you? Then you're missing 
the entire point, which is for you to shorten your learning curve by learning from somebody else. That's what a mentor is all about. And, and you know, that's, it's just amazing to me how many people allow the emotion of jealousy to impede their ability to learn from that person's experiences. And one last thing I'm going to say, and then we're really out of time, is you can have a mentor who you've never met. You can have a mentor through a book you've read. That person can be your mentor. Guests on this show can be your mentor. You can, we talk about shortening the learning curve in even the intro to the show. It's about gaining the edge, shortening your learning curve by listening to other people who have been there, done that. If you can learn from someone else, even if you never talk to them in person, that's a mentor. You can be your own mentor. And let me tell you how. For me, mentorship is about having somebody that puts you in front of the right information based on what you're interested in. You have the ability to put yourself in front of that information by listening to a radio show like this, by reading the right book, by being at the right workshop or seminar, by picking up the phone and having a conversation with someone. My, my favorite, one of my favorite mentors is Jim Rohn, and the other one is Napoleon Hill. Now, I've never met either one of them. You know, Napoleon Hill wasn't even alive when I was alerted to who he was. And the bottom line is that one of the most important decisions that I made was to make personal development a lifelong journey, not just a one-time exercise. And so I like to think that I have gotten introduced to the majority of my mentors by being my first mentor and asking the right questions and seeking the right information. And sometimes that right question is just asking someone else, what book should I read? Exactly. And then read the what book. are you reading? Why? You know, what are you learning? What's, what's, what's the most important thing you learned from that book? But make sure you're asking the people who are, are actually reading books. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Are the people who you want to be more like. Exactly. If you're hanging out with people who don't read books and just sit around playing video games, they're not going to be able to help you. They, they're not even going to be able to help you find that book or that mentor. It's about showing up in places that might feel scary at first because you're outside your comfort zone. You're now mingling with people who now read these books. And if you haven't before, that's okay. You've got to start somewhere. So one of my mentors told me, if you want to be successful, you need to learn how to be a copycat because you can't learn everything yourself. He said, you got to be a copycat, but you got to make sure you copy the right cat. <laughs> and that starts with finding people, modeling success. It starts with finding people that are doing the things you want to do and finding out how they were able to accomplish it. Yep. And my, my last piece, and we'll definitely say goodbye, is that if you are the smartest person in the room or the most successful person in the room, you need to find another room. That's exactly There's right. There's no growth to be had if you have outshined and outgrown everybody else in the room. Bingo. They can learn from you, and that's great if you want to be a mentor, but if you realize you're not learning from those around you, it's time to switch rooms. It's a great room to give back, but you've got to go someplace else to further fill your cup. Well, thank you so much for joining me in studio. For My pleasure. For everything you've done for me as a mentor, especially around marketing and LinkedIn and messaging and all the things you do, automation. You do so many things. And um, helping me build my course, Glenn, is my wonderful. Pleasure. I'm going to share your information in the show notes if anyone's interested in the community here at Village Connector Community or in Laurel, Maryland. And I know you have ways for people to access your resources online. So even if you're not in Washington, D.C., this community is available to you. You betcha. We'll make sure that's available. So thank you for coming into the studio. It's been my pleasure, Sharon. Keep doing what you're doing because you're making a difference. Thanks, Glenn. You are too. Have a good day. Thanks for listening today. Tune in for our next episode. And in the meantime, you can get more resources at www.c-suiteresults.com. Make it a successful day. Like what you just heard, visit c-suiteradio.com. 
C-Suite Radio, turning the volume up on business. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.